Designcast Podcast, the podcast for design and STEAM educators. Hello and welcome to Designcast, a podcast where I interview a wide range of excellent guests in design and STEAM education to get their unique perspectives. My name is Jason Reagan and I use my 20 plus years of experience as a design educator to dig deep into complex issues. This podcast has one simple mission, to create a community of people around the world that are interested in design and STEAM education. Each episode, I chat with guests from all corners of the design world, from classroom teachers to authors and even to educational consultants. We discuss a wide range of topics that we feel are relevant today. I do want to ask you that if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave a review, rate, subscribe, share, or download from your favorite podcasting app. This helps the podcast get discovered by listeners that might not find it otherwise. Also, it helps me to continually define the direction of future guests and episodes. Feel free to drop by my website, www.jasonreagan.ga, to leave me a comment or to sign up to be considered as a future guest on future episodes. Also, don't forget to stop by Anchor and leave me a voice clip that could even end up in an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. So let's get to it. Welcome back to another episode of DesignCast, and I'm absolutely pleased and excited to have Andrew Nichols with me. Andrew, how are you today? I'm well yourself. I'm hanging in there, man. And so before we started, we were just talking about the current lockdown you guys are under, and so that is a real shame. But that does mean that I have a captive audience to chat with you, <laughs> so that's a plus. Certainly do. Andrew, if you don't mind, could you tell the listeners a little bit about, number one, who you are and kind of how you became involved in education? Sure. So I'm Andrew Nichols. I am a design and technology leader. That essentially just means that in, in the school that I'm currently teaching in, I'm classed as a, a leading teacher. So I'm basically just a head of faculty and, and look after the curriculum and provide support to the staff within the school who teach design and technology and also some of our vet or vocational education and training. I got into teaching about 16 years ago. I actually first started out as an industrial designer at the end of the 90s and just at the turn of the century. And that, that was a really interesting time here in Victoria. We uh, transitioned from a very rough period with the economy and we we had a mass exodus of our manufacturing sector, obviously went over to, to China. And that left uh, a lot of industrial designers here with not a lot of jobs to go into. So I ended up finding myself at the time working as a part-time photographic sales consultant and then sort of heading into industrial design, but wasn't all that much out there. A lot of the fact the businesses at the time didn't really quite understand how to work with industrial designers. We we just seemed to have this different way of thinking and and turning you know problems into these really unique and out of the box ways of, of solving problems. And for a lot of people that sort of thought, well oh, gee hang on that that's not the way that I thought that would go or that, that solution could come about. A bit risky going that way. I thought we'd more go that way. So we're really unique coming out onto the market. And when you said 
you were an industrial designer. Most people thought you, you designed factories. So one of my first jobs was uh, cardboard point of sale. So we, we actually manufactured and turned big sheets of cardboard into display holders for everything from chocolate bars to, to books and all, all sorts of other things. I learned as much as I could from, from that and ended up then going into kitchen design and a bit of project management. And, and around somewhere around that time, I met uh, a lovely young lady. And after changing jobs a few times over after six months, she sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, well, you know, we'd really like to settle down and, and maybe buy a house, but banks won't sort of look at you when you, you're changing jobs every six months. So she su- suggested that I become a teacher and, uh, and that's what I did. So I went back and, and did a, a very sh- short diploma of education or, or graduate diploma of education. And I was fortunate at the time that the University of Melbourne was offering teaching methods in both arts and also technology. And I thought, well, you know, what, what the heck, I'll, I'll throw my hat in the ring and, and give it a try. And lo and behold, I became a designer technology teacher. Originally, I actually started out teaching a visual communication. So that was uh, a rehash of the old tech drawing classes and sort of mixed in with a bit of graphic design as well. And after a few years I, of teaching that at one particular school, I went off to another and, and then finally got to teach designer technology and eventually ended up with another school and was asked to turn an empty shell uh, of a brand new building into a designer technology facility. So I, I gladly picked that one up and, and then suddenly found out that there were very few resources around for designing designer technology facilities. And of course, this was a, a, a brand new facility that also wanted the design to encompass multiple materials and that was really unique and that started my journey into you know the leadership of design and technology and also started my path down the occupational health and safety aspects of design and technology in schools which eventually led on to to two master's degrees in in those areas quite a journey and i yes. just want to focus on the part where you said there's not a lot of resources <laughs> to set these spaces up and I can tell you that that's one of the number one things we discuss on this podcast is how'd you do it? You know, kind of thing. Like, where'd you go and <laughs> where'd you find these things? And I mean, we have listeners from all over the world. So everyone has a really unique perspective and context that they're in. So what did you find most useful when you started to fill up this shell of a space? Well, I tried to initially go down the line of, of just finding resources that might actually help me. Early on in my, my teaching career, in fact, my first teaching placement, I was given an opportunity to help the school select an architect and refine some design plans for this new wave of open plan teaching spaces or learning spaces that was coming in in the early 2000s. And at that stage, I, I went off and saw an architect, I think his name was Prashner, I might be mispronouncing that, but he had a lot of resources there. So I, I thought, well, maybe there's something there in terms of the architectural world. Didn't find much at all. I went back to some of my old industrial design resources like Newford's Architects Data, which was, you know, that was great in terms of telling me how much space I might have needed or what the orientation of equipment might have been. But a lot, a lot of that was very old now. That was, I think, by edition was published in the, the late 90s. And of course, it still relied heavily on what we'd probably now call siloed designer technology spaces. So that idea that we have a woodwork 
room and we have a, a metal shop room and we have a, a drafting space, which of course, when you get handed an empty building and they're saying to you, well, actually you've got one big space to do all of these things in. So I ended up going back to looking at occupational health and safety requirements and, and looking at aspects and, and what we'd probably call impacts. So hazards and risks of what to put where, but there, there wasn't really anything that existed that would actually tell you, you know, what machines you need or, or what items of plant that you should be able to have, or let alone how much space you actually require between a particular machine and the desks and, and how you were going to store a lot of these things. So for me, it, it was really about trying to talk to as, as many people as I could, maybe go out and see some spaces. But again, this was in a time period where we didn't have uh, a lot of schools that had open plan designer technology spaces or let alone you know steam or stem those buzzwords weren't sort of coming in until you know maybe five years or six years down the track after i'd set up this space so you had to be very innovative in what you did and and what you could find and i'm not too sure what your experience has been jason in terms of finding equipment but a lot of the things that we were getting into the country at the time were were machines that that didn't necessarily cut the mark in terms of quality builds or there was a a very large variation in or difference between what you would consider to be sort of cheap maybe more domestic style machinery as opposed to industrial machinery and being a government school we're often on more conservative budgets and you'd sort of look at, you know, a lovely panel saw, for example, and then you'd ask how much it was and it'd be, you know, oh, this is $40,000. Like, oh, I've got a budget of about 10. So that really started me on that journey of, well, there's got to be something that could help other people. And, and although I'd had a little bit of training as for occupational health and safety in regards to being a staff representative to help people identify issues and bring them to the attention of, of school leadership, I, I didn't have any formal qualifications other than what I'd learned through industrial design. So that really started my journey on occupational health and safety. And it was around 2013, I started my course because I identified that there wasn't anything there. And I thought well, that someone's got to create it. So why not me? And eight what is it now? 2020, I finished my degree. And and now I'm sort of finding that I've got people coming out of the woodwork, excuse the pun, to, to, to ask me, you know, how do we set this up? Or I have got something set up, or I've used a particular company to, to actually put in all of this machinery, but I don't know if it's compliant. Can you come in and actually have a look and help us so now I'm doing a lot of consultancy work mm -hmm. uh, in and around that area. I know that most people who are listening who have got their own design space will have empathized with, with your story because that's the first thing people walk into. There's this empty room. And in many cases, you know, it's not the school leader's fault because many of them are not trained for this either. Right. And so they walk in and they say, we know what we want to have. 
we're just not sure how to do it, you know? Yep. And so I think it's really important that people recognize, you know, that I get, I get asked all the time, how would I do this? How would you set this up? Blah, blah, blah. And you're right. These open space areas, these studios, I guess you could say, or laboratories, they're not easy to plan out. People think it is, but they've seen successful ones because someone spent a lot of time and a lot of money putting them together. And so that's really. Yeah. And, and a bit like if we approached it from a, an educational point of view, if if we looked at someone like the backwards by design model, it, it's very similar in, in approach. We We really need to think about how we can even like transdisciplinary design and and create these spaces so we can actually have students sort of walking into different areas and talking to different experts in that particular material or processing of material and then sort of heading back into a design studio and and doing whatever they need to do or you know having that very fluid way of 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 working and testing and experimenting with materials it's really interesting and something that came out in a lot of the research that I've, I've done is that we actually knew more about good workshop design in the 1950s and, and around that period than what we currently do now. So if, if you went and tried to Google search and, and, and try and dig up resources in, in any university library, you'll find that we have an abundance of, you know, setting up industrial arts from about the 1920s through to the 1950s, 60s. But most things after about 1970 sort of fall off the radar completely. It wasn't until the late 90s that I believe in the UK that they actually started to develop a standard and, and there's now currently a standard that helps people with those sort of things and specifying, you know, what are the, the risks and hazards of, of having some particular machines and, and who should have access to them. But there's still no real great guide in terms of, you know, how to set them up. There, there is one that floats around that's related to that particular guide, but the the, the research and, and, and probably, I suppose, really globally trying to get design and technology teachers in the, the researching process and, and back to university and doing master's degrees or or doctorates to to feed this information and develop our knowledge base is pretty rare. And and I think that's a that's a real shame and, and probably something that, that we really want to see educators, particularly educators in design technology and, mm-hmm. and holistic theme doing in the future. Yeah, I agree. I mean I have conversations with people in my professional network all the time regarding new equipment, regarding the safety behind them. And, you know, uh, what, when we, the longer we use them, the more we realize the hazards and the equipment and the, and the fumes and the whatnot. And so, I mean, we're even redoing some of the spaces in my own school to house the 3d printers so that the, the off gases are safely disposed of, you know, and I think in many cases they were kind of sold as a safe bet to have in a classroom and now they're finding well hold up (laughs) maybe not so much (laughs) yeah particularly laser cutters i've seen some some occurrences where you know people thinking oh this is a fantastic you know tool in in the classroom and and it certainly saves time and 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 lessens the the hazards that students would maybe occur using more traditional either corded or battery operated portable plant or or, you know hand tools and you might see someone sort of cutting up some plastics and you and you sort of say well have you got that vented and and how is it vented and where does it vent to? Because I have seen in in one school where it was it was being vented and out into the atmosphere, but 
the the duct actually went straight up through the ceiling, through the roof, and it happened to be venting adjacent to a, a playground where oh. all of the younger <laughs> students in the school actually played. Wow, man. I, I laugh at the humor of, of someone's short-sightedness, not at the seriousness of the, of the venting. Yes. I understand that that's what I'm laughing at. So, yes, you know, and, and that's the thing is that we have a lot of people who, you know, schools are designed and spaces are designed by people who are not educators and who do not understand all the other bits that go with that. And it's like the dead spaces are, are designed and, and that kind of thing. So very, very fascinating, Andrew. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. I know that's a big passion of yours, but I also know you have a new passion. (laughs) I I guess it's new. And is that how you'd say it? Yes. Can you tell me uh, about it? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It's a weird name. I often get a few people sort of asking me, are you a huge fish fan? It's like, no, I'm not a, not a huge fan of fishing at all. The The acronym just comes from myself in in the business that I run in, in doing consultancy work. So that's just Andrew Nichols Design and Associates, very creative and inventive name. And the, the COD comes from Compendium of Design. So this has been a, a long-term, slow-burning project of mine that Early on in the day of, of, of teaching, you, you love to develop your own resources and somehow put them together so you can continually refer to them without constantly printing them out. Now, particularly, we've got the World Wide Web and a, and a fantastic resource that is. So as I've sort of compiled resources and used a few different things and indeed have been a part of a, a textbook writing exercise during the late part of the, the 2000s, I kept some of my work from that process and I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if I could put this online and I could actually reference it with, with my students and and have that as a way of, of building up my content and my resources and and should I change schools well that resource is always with me and I continually try to improve it so while I've been doing all of these other things and have had interests in you know health and safety and learning space design I've been tinkering away at it and quite recently I've had enough time to to refine that a little bit more and I thought well hang on this is uh, I've got interest from people wanting to grab some of the graphics that I've created in terms of communicating the design process and even breaking down a four-step design process into a more elaborate process with phases that actually explain what we're doing in each phase and even just creating some some posters on basic color and drawing styles and a bit of technical drawing so I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could actually publish this and then see if we can't get some contributors from anywhere we possibly can to actually add to that. So this born the idea of, of Andacod and, and making it public available on a global website, uh, warts and all. It's, it's, it's certainly not a, a perfect site at the moment, but one I'm very much tinkering away with. So the idea of Andacod really now has become this site in which we could uh, collaborate as uh, designer technology teachers and provide resources for both beginning teachers or expert teachers or indeed students who have got uh, a flair for uh, design and wanting to to sort of cut through everything that's available to them and the countless hours that you might spend watching cat videos on YouTube, for example, or trying to find that right person to actually show you that bit of skill or knowledge that you're after. So what I've tried to do is piece together bits of information and make it accessible for people. So there's 
you know, as a part of the website, there's a, a series of pages there at the moment that sort of hopes to explain the design process. There is a built-in glossary that as soon as we add a particular term to that glossary, it then defines it across the whole website. So if there's a particular term that you're unfamiliar with, and if I pick a, a word that students often stumble on, which might be things like aesthetics or anthropological data, it, it highlights itself at a particular color, different to the text around it, and, and you can wave your mouse over it, and then it gives you a nice definition. Some of those I, I think are probably still a little bit educational about or academic about, and, and probably need a little bit of help refining those. But there's also other pages on there that, you know, if, if you do spend your hours watching YouTube clips there's some fantastic resources out there in terms of different disciplines. There's been some widely talked about videos or video links to companies like Seymour Powell and Designing Dream Machines, for example, which I think is just an absolute fantastic resource that I show every one of my students, even though it's a bit cringeworthy now because it's it was done back in the 90s, I think, with with all the Seymour Power crew going around the world designing products. But it just showcases that process and, and the creative way in which products can, can come from, from an idea. And, you know, always love Dick's definition of, you know, the way in which uh, design is like plate spinning and, you know, the fact that he struggles to, to to put his food processor back in the right spot always makes me giggle. And, you know, other other links to who's, who's one I can think of at the moment, so like for drawing, like Spencer Nugent, I love his work and, and watching him just come up with a sketch and a marker rendering, you know, with just such ease. And I sort of sit there and think how long it took me to, to struggle with my confidence of, of drawing and understanding of perspective and he just does it so perfectly and there's there's lots more that that we've got in plan for it in in terms of expanding it we'd love to see teachers jump on board and, and register and then offer to to send through whatever resources in whatever format in no matter how good or bad they think it is and i'd love to see people sharing all of that. I, I don't know what it's like where, where you're currently teaching, Jason, or or what your listeners, what it's like for your listeners, but for, certainly here in Victoria and no doubt across Australia at the moment, we have got a, a huge shortage of design and technology teachers. We are, we are at that point at the moment where a lot of our Teachers who who started their careers back in maybe the 70s or 80s are, are now getting to the point where it's, no, I'm tapping out. But with that, of course, they're, they're leaving the industry with a wealth of knowledge in terms of their craft, no matter whether they teach the more contemporary approaches to design and technology or a more the traditional material-based practitioner. We want to get a snapshot of that before everyone sort of leaves but we also want a rich pot of information that you know our generation of tomorrow can actually pick up from and and learn from and you know engage our next round of students in in designing products that that will be around in you know in the next 50 years or or certainly start to concentrate on on developing products that are going to resolve our environmental issues that we are certainly going to have in the next 50 to 100 years. It sounds to me like this is a real passion project for you. And it's one of those that your side, your sort of side hustle that you have going on to, you know, to help the, the good of the profession. And so I do appreciate you putting that together, Andrew, and it's, it's a sensational site. And I know that listeners will want to come visit that. And I will definitely 
definitely make sure that there's a link in the show notes so folks can come th- through and visit. And so you've, you've alluded to some challenges that you've had putting this together. What would you say have been the main things that have been the most challenging for you in setting this up? And, and how have you addressed those challenges? Wow. Great question. I, I think initially... there's always that concern when you dabble dabble in things like web design that you you don't quite know what you're doing and you're trying to piece it together and it's sort of got to look professional and it's got to work well. They were probably my biggest issues initially was just piecing it together. You know, what, what platform do I use? How do I get this on here? How do I do this? How do I do it so it doesn't look, you know, like it was designed back in the days of web design? Taking all of that aside, it's really just the time and and the content that that takes, you know, every every ounce of practice to, to get it looking and and feeling as though that it could be a, a possible site that people would want to visit and want to use, and even drawing from your own resources that you you start to look at and think, oh, gee, have I done a good enough job on that? Is it is it really going to to respond to the needs of students or, or help them? in in some way and that's really where i'm at with the site at the moment is trying to get that content up on there and 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 know that it's it's to that standard that that people will be happy with to use or pick up it really goes back to and and even just asking for contributors and and trying to promote that idea of let's let's share our resources and and as teachers let's Let's look at what we are hoping to achieve and how we're trying to pass on the knowledge and the skills that, that we've learnt, but do it in a way in which we can support each other and, and do it in a way that we can respond to each other's work in a professional light and, and help build other people's capacity and improve upon that. And, and of course, always make it enjoyable for our students then to pick up and look at and go, oh, wow. I never knew that so much effort went into making that product or that there is a real purpose in, as much as I hate to say the word, but it often gets used by students as I don't like the theory behind what I'm learning about. I I want to do, I want to make, but I I don't necessarily want to learn theory. So it's, it's trying to find that balance between how much theory do we put up and how do we write that in such a way that it's still welcoming to people who are learning it as opposed to those of us who have mastered it and and can understand it, but maybe we haven't quite mastered the skill in producing. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, you're taking risks and I think anyone in this profession that we we're both in would appreciate you taking risks. So <laughs> thank you for putting that together and, and continuing to push through every single day because I know it is a, a labor of love. <laughs> so I do appreciate it. And I'm sure that you're going to continue to gather steam as you continue to build the, the site. The site's beautiful. So congratulations on that. I was commenting to you earlier. I love the graphics. I love the style. It's really slick. So just keep doing that, man. I'm sure you've learned things you never knew you would learn, right? Oh, well, yeah, my, my HTML and, and CS understanding is much better than what, when I first started and a little bit of PHP in there as well. So it's it's amazing the skills that you pick up and and even how you can use those. It's, it's funny how... 
uh, word gets around that you you know you've got a website here or a website there and people have a look at it and go oh wow you must be really good at it. it's like well there's some tricks of the trade in there that that we'll just keep under a hat for the moment but you know it, it's it has even had people tapping me on the shoulder to say hey can you come in and actually teach a, you know a year seven or a year eight it class <laughs> which is yeah which is always interesting you go in and say yeah okay well, i can teach you all about let's talk about imaging and manipulating images on photoshop and illustrator now let's do a little bit of web design okay well let's look at the w3 schools and uh, let's see what we can learn there from as a resource and which is still great because it, it challenges you as a as an educator and it puts you in that zone where you you're learning with students and it, it's Reminds me of a conversation I was having over the last couple of weeks with people in terms of letting go of that that idea of, well, I suppose what we'd call is, is, is power knowledge. So that old didactic way of teaching, it's the, the, the master standing up in front of the class or the, the sage on the stage sort of thing and transition to more of the guide on the side and, and, and start to learn with students. And I think when you start to do that, then students can start to see that you're vulnerable too. And and sometimes it's it's even just to demonstrate to students, you know, hey, you know what? We I might be a teacher, that might be my label, but I'm still a learner. And and learning just never stops. And you know, that those type of things are, are, are really important and, and and that's what I try to get back to, to students is that, hey, you know, I started out doing this. I never thought I'd be a teacher, but here I am. You know, I never thought I'd sell photographic gear, but done that too. Never thought I'd be a web designer. You know, I'm not a professional web designer, but I've been able to piece together my own website and, you know, here it is. And yeah, there's some clunky bits here and there and some broken links and maybe some things that don't quite work quite well yet. But you know what? I'll take the feedback. I like that feedback. The more I find out about things, the more I can fix things and, and you know, and I'll, and I'll give credit to some image sites they're not my graphics I'd, I'd love to be able to do them i do manipulate them slightly but i certainly don't sit down or i don't have the time to sit down and, and do the uh, the amazing graphics that are on there but the the idea of that and i i sort of thought i the the imagery uh, i wanted a, a nice style to be able to to publicize or make public the site and and hand it over to other contribute contributors but i was sort of looking for a particular look and feel but something that might have been quite trendy and, and inviting. I originally started out with a, a number of different images and photos, and, and it's amazing how things just quite don't, it doesn't gel. It just didn't look right. It started to feel a bit clunky. And then once I went to that graphic line, everything just started to fall in place. And I thought, yeah, this this feels right. It looks, and for some, I don't know what it is, but I tend to like that that graphic look as opposed to, to set up photos that, that can start to look a bit generic and particularly when you're wanting people to be innovative and different and, and a bit edgy, that, that nice illustration look, uh, I think goes a long way. <laughs> yeah. I really dig it. I think it's very cool. Kind of Lichtenstein pop art kind of comic book style, which is really fun. And so if people haven't seen it, it's a great time for them to go check out your site. <laughs> so Certainly is. And, and sign up. Yeah. Sign up. Let me know if there's anything that you'd like to contribute. I'm, I'm really after, you know, anyone, any type of content at all. Anything from from lesson plans to unit planners or just articles that have been written on design or if even if someone wants to see an article on, you know, may, maybe what does work for a, a design and technology workshop or, you know, anything at all that could help students and teachers teach design and technology or, you know, I'd like to, to label it as transdisciplinary STEM. 
or steam. I like to get those those full stops out of the word and make sure that there's a definitive link between all of those letters in the acronym. Then I, I'd love to see it up there and uh, and sharing it with the world. Totally agreed. So Andrew, a uh, quick question for you, rapid fire. What book would you ask everyone to stop right now and read? I'm split on this. I I don't know if there's one. I I'm a I'm a huge fan, and I and I think I'd have to go back to and and maybe go a bit old school on this and say that if if there is one that I had to be locked down to, I'd definitely say find yourself a copy of Design for the Real World by Victor Papanek and okay. read it. Fantastic. It's a must. Yeah, I will add that to. I have a Goodreads shelf that I put people's book recommendations on, and that one now will be on there. <laughs> so thank Excellent. you for that. And so, if people want to get in touch with you, of course, you have your your website. What are some other ways to get in touch with you through social media, or if they want to find out more about the work that you're doing? Lots. I think these keep me just as busy as developing the website. So I've got a few handles all over the place. On Twitter, you can find me at Andacod, so A-N-D-A-C-O-D. I'm also on under the uh, the tag of um, A-N-D underscore D-L-S-S. Don't ask me what that acronym all stands for. So, so I must have come to Twitter at the wrong time because I, I plugged in a few little little tags and I, I just couldn't find one that worked. I think it was learning space design and safety or something like that. But uh, yeah, A-N-D-A underscore D-L-S-S. I will make sure all of that is in the show notes and so people can click right away and they don't have to worry about spelling it out. <laughs> so that way it's it's easy <laughs> access. But most certainly, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have you tagged in all the publicity and PR for the podcast episode. But this has been such a great time talking with you. I really appreciate it, Andrew, and you taking time out of your busy day. You're a very busy guy. So I really do appreciate that. Sincerely so. appreciate the offer. That was amazing. <laughs> to, 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 I, I think conversations like this are just brilliant because it, it gives every of a, uh, every one of us an opportunity to mm. to get these topics out in the open heard and, and even just to get people knowing that, yeah, the, the things that run around in your head, in your classroom and you know, maybe your learning region are still mm. getting talked about worldwide. And it's, you know, these types of conversations have, have really got to get out there to, to open things up and, and share the knowledge that, that we all have about design and technology. Thank you so much for your time. And I would love to have you back on after the website continues to grow. Maybe we can have an update in the near future. Certainly. I hope you enjoyed that episode of DesignCast. I'm Jason, your host, and I produced and created this podcast. If you have any input, I would love to hear from you. And I look forward to seeing you again really soon. I am so excited to announce the launch of a new podcast network called DNA Podcast Network. The Design Network Alliance, or DNA, was founded by Evo Hanan and myself as a result of DesignCast number 16. We talked all about the need to connect design educators globally. DNA is a collective group of like-minded design educators from around the world. We have one simple mission, to connect design and STEAM educators with each other 
and with designers that want to make a difference in design education to make it better for future generations. The DNA Podcast Network is a hub for podcasts that cover the topics around design, design and technology, design thinking, STEAM, and STEM education. If you are interested in hearing more great content, head over to www.dnapodcastnetwork.ga today. Click on the thumbnail of the podcast that you want to hear and enjoy. If you have any other podcasts that you enjoy that cover similar topics, please feel free to get in touch with me and let me know so that I can look at adding them to the network. Finally, spread the word. Share with your network and your PLN and use the hashtag DNA Podcast Network. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and a podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you on the next episode.